Hey everybody, it's Eugene Driscoll of ValleyIndy.org. Welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indy podcast. I'm recording this at uh, 4.21 p.m. Friday, November 13th. Friday the 13th. My guest will be Dr. Frederick Brown. He's Griffin's Griffin Hospital's chief medical officer, and we're talking COVID-19 in the Valley. But before we begin, I just want to read a quick note from our sponsor, ValleyGivesBack.org. While giving is always in season, now is a great time to plan your gift. Name a Valley nonprofit in your estate plan and create a legacy that tells future generations what matter to you. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Your action will inspire others to make a difference in their own way. Remember the Valley. Ask your accountant, financial planner, or attorney about planned giving options. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. For hundreds of years we've brought you the news. For the info we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Changing market now threatens our lives. Critical reading, dumb down nation, signs have been breeding. TV sucking ideas from our head. Public discourse, just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur. Yeah, ride the dinosaur. Joining me on the line, I'm very excited for this conversation, is Dr. Frederick Brown. He is Griffin Hospital's chief medical officer. Hello, Dr. Brown. It is nice to hear your voice again. It is great to be on and great, great to chat with you today. Um, it's, it's a, again, a real pleasure, and it's a pleasure to be able to get sort of what's going on out to the community. And so, Doctor, we were just talking uh, a second ago before we went live. I was sort of explaining to you that I'm coming to you uh, from a source of frustration a little bit. I, I, I'm sort of uh, uh, overwhelmed, and we get these numbers every day in the Naugatuck Valley about positive cases that are happening. And every day I watch Governor Lamont come out, and he does a press conference, and he answers sort of statewide questions. But I have a really hard time getting a sense and tracking What's happening with COVID in the Naugatuck Valley specifically, uh, and Griffin Hospital especially, because that is the heart of our community, and that's our community hospital. So, I mean, just as we were going live, there are just some new numbers from the state of Connecticut uh, showing that we had uh, 2,746 positive cases today, Friday the 13th, November uh, a positivity rate, I believe, uh, up in the six percent range. If I'm getting that correctly, uh, right. definitely not. These are you know, there's more testing going on. That's the other thing going on. So, doctor, yeah, you're, you're in the know. You're dealing with this every day. What's the situation like at Griffin right now in terms of COVID? Absolutely. So, so I think you hit on a lot of different points there that I think is really important. The first one that you hit on is the testing. So a big difference, and, and I'm going to compare sort of what's happening now in the second wave versus what happened in the first wave. Um, you know, it, there is a lot of testing going on versus the first wave. Um, if you remember, I, I had a statistic that I used to do and lecture on when I was talking about this in April. Um, if you looked at the amount of people in late March who were actually tested in the entire country, the amount of people who were tested, it was only 
60,000 people. That was it in the entire country in, in the entire United States in, 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 in the middle of March when we already knew it was in California and it was, it was hitting New York and still only had such a number where now we're doing that. I mean, in the state of Connecticut alone, that's, that's, that's probably a day here. Um, so we are testing so many more people. Uh, I think we've been very active in surveillance. I think people are, if there is a concern that someone had any exposure, we're getting them tested and having the availability of that test is really important. It's, it's helped us sort of manage this a, a little bit better than we, we did in April. Um, so we're really on top of sort of where it is and what's going on. So those numbers, even though this is a second wave and we are definitely seeing more, I think those numbers are going to be, are going to look really outrageous uh, because we're testing so many people in the turn they're, they're being positive. Let me tell you also what's, what we're finding is the difference. So in April, people were coming into the hospital and they were really sick um, to the point where they were going into the intensive care unit and a lot of people had to be put on ventilators. It wasn't as high as we initially predicted, but it was still very high. Uh, and in certain areas of the hospital had to be shut down. And unfortunately, people were, were you know, we were having, uh, you know, people were dying. Um, and, and it was unfortunate. I could tell you that this second wave is not looking as bad. At least right now, um, we are having a lot of positivity, um, but we're having a lot of people who are coming into the hospital and a lot of people who are being discharged within a, within a few days. So as opposed to being here for a week, uh, they're here for, you know, three, four, five days max, Why? and then they're gone. Like, what's the difference between... I'm not... You know what? I don't think anybody's exactly sure why. Um, it may be... There's a couple maybes. Uh, it may be the fact that we are protecting our um, elderly population, that we're protecting our nursing homes a lot better than we were before. Uh, I think that that's potentially there. Or... You know, there was a, because of the first wave did hit a lot of our vulnerable population, that could have been one of the issues. Uh, the second thing is, is that theoretically a virus like coronavirus is going to um, undergo some evolutionary pressure as it, as it progresses. Um, and if you can follow my, my explanation on this, and again, it's a very logical explanation of what happens with a virus, especially in an aggressive virus. So an aggressive virus will actually infect a person. So if you have a person that's infected with an aggressive virus and someone who is infected with the same virus, but it's mutated a little bit and it's not as aggressive, what can happen is, is that that person who's infected with that aggressive virus, they get really sick and they self-select out. So what will happen is they will go, they'll actually go home. They won't interact with people, not because we tell them not to, because they just don't feel well. Mm -hmm. They're, they're sick. They just don't feel well at all. So they'll, they'll self-select out. The person who is not as sick, the person who has, is either mildly symptomatic, they're actually going to probably interact a little bit more with other people. Even though we tell them they shouldn't, they're going to interact a little bit more with other people. What happens is that more people are then in contact with someone who has a milder version. And that milder version ends up being the more predominant virus that's in the community. So that's another theory that happens. And that's, that's actually typical of most viruses. So it's, it's evolutionary pressure within the virus to actually focus on being a milder disease because then you can affect more people and then you continue to live longer as a virus. So that's actually a possibility. And then the, the third one is that, you know, more healthy people are getting infected. And we do know that about 95 of the people 95% of the people who actually get infected actually do completely fine. 
Um, they may have mild symptoms. They just completely recover. They don't even go to the hospital. 95% of them get better. 5% can get, can get sick, and then 1% of that actually can get really sick. So we may just be seeing those people who didn't get it the first time are just natural progression, that they're, they're healthier and they're able to respond. But we're definitely seeing that within the hospital. Yeah, and then in terms of the number of people that have been coming in recently, I mean, we're seeing an uptick uh, in hospitalizations, according to the State Department of Health, statewide. Correct. Is that being reflected uh, in Griffin? I know Griffin took uh, a lot of measures to prepare for that first wave as it was arri- arriving uh, in Connecticut. Uh, it never, I don't think Griffin ever hit its maximum uh, capacity. And I've heard that hospitals, the second wave are all pretty well prepared, uh, for whatever should happen. But what, what types of numbers are you seeing, uh, in the hospital now? We've definitely seen an uptick just like everyone else has. So it's, so it's definitely an increase in it and it varies uh, day to day. So we continue to see an increase. But as I said, it, it varies depending on the, the time of day. I mean, as I said, just today alone, we've had about, we've had probably about eight discharges with pe- discharges of people who actually had COVID. So we're seeing uh, more people come into the ED. And I think that corresponds with the Naugatuck Valley Health District. I think the numbers that you see that there's been an increase, you know, if there's an increase that's in the community, then obviously we see an increase at the hospital. Those who are sometimes the worried well, they have COVID-19, they're concerned, so they'll come into our ER. Uh, there's some people who are a little sicker who need IV fluids or maybe a little oxygen. We bring them in, and then they get treated, and then, and then they basically get treated. We watch them for, for a period of time, and then they get released. And then there's looking at that, that 1%. We do have the possibility of 1%. So one, one person, you know, one or two people can potentially go on the ventilator. So as I said, we're, we're seeing a, per, and I could probably give you a sort of percentage, it's still a low percentage, probably about 10 to 15% of our patients are COVID right now. Okay. And then, uh, Doctor, the other thing I wanted to ask you about that we, once a week, the State Department of Health sends out this, for about a month now, sends out this COVID map, a color-coded coded three-tier map. Yeah. And we've all read, yeah. we've all yep. become sort of uh, statistical es- experts, except me. Uh, <laughs> you know, and we've, we've learned this week, if you look, I mean, first it was 11 towns the first week, and then it was, I think it jumped to 30, then 68. Now it's 100. 80% of the population of the state of Connecticut is living in this designated uh, COVID red zone. And that means uh, if you have a daily two-week average of at least 15 cases per day, you you make that red list. Uh, uh, Schools should think about remote remote learning from what I'm told if it hits 25. And, you know, and Sony is in that now. Derby had a jump in a week uh, with that two-week average. Uh, average. But I, I guess what I'm trying to, I mean, I, I get what that is and it's colored red and it's sort of dramatic. Uh, but what are, what, what are the statistics you're looking at? And I mean, I guess you've said, uh, maybe answered this question, but I, I was sort of surprised by these, this big jump that like Derby, let's say, took from I think 17 to 30, uh, uh, roughly in that weekly uh, COVID map. Uh, d- do you look at that? Is that something that concerns you? Yeah. So we do look at that, and we obviously follow that along with with you and the rest of the rest of the valley on sort of what's what's happening in the community. We also do an extensive amount of testing, um, so we do testing outside of our hospital. So we sort of see the numbers sort of roll up. We see that there has been an increase depending on the areas that are. So we do watch it because we know that 
you know, given that there's, you know, given the more people that are positive, the likelihood is that we will have more people who will be admitted to the hospital. So we need to make sure that we're prepared. And as we've talked about before, we're prepared in a lot of different ways. You know, our ER has a, a set area that is designed for COVID patients. We have a we have a wing that is negative pressure and designed for patients who are who are COVID positive, so we can optimize their care uh, and then prevent any any spread within the hospital. Which again, I'm more than happy to say that there has been no employee to um, employee to patient or patient to employee spread within the hospital this entire time. So we're actually really proud of that. Mm. Um, so be very careful about, about doing that. Um, I think it's interesting, and honestly, I, I got to tell you, Eugene, this is something that I've I, I somewhat expected. Probably not as high as it is, but I did expect this to happen about this time, um, maybe a little bit more late October, uh, not necessarily mid November. So a lot of things happen around this time. Um, school did go back, and again, I think that was really important that we had school that was going back. You know, as school goes back, some people feel a little bit more comfortable. Children feel more comfortable, sort of you know, spending time together. Um, in particular, the colleges and college students having a tendency to, to, to be together. And sometimes, you know, around this time, um, not being super vigilant with the, um, with, you know, PPE and infection control practices leads to um, the spread. So all it takes is one or two people who actually have COVID and then they go to a I'm gonna I'm gonna throw college kids under the under the bus here, but um, you know they go to a college party. I think that's okay. We you know we all get it. We're all college, we're right. all college students. We we understand. So so you know all it takes is one or two college kids, and they go to a college party, and they're you know not wearing their masks, and all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden there's this connection, right? There's all of a sudden this this single thing can start spreading to a bunch of different um, people who again, are sort of in that mild category, they're not really getting that sick. So they don't feel that bad. So they're potentially spreading it on to, to each other. And then when the holidays come, um, they go home or they have any interactions with their family. All of a sudden, now you're having this spread where it's now from the college kids to their parents. And then we want to avoid parents to grandparents because grandparents are our risk, risk area. So that happens around the season. This happens every year with just regular viruses, not COVID-19, but every year school starts and then around October, October, November, that's when all the upper respiratory tract infections occur, the gastrointestinal tract infections occur. All those occur really around this time. The other thing that happens at this time is the weather gets colder. So all the time that we spend outside, all the time we're around UV lights, all the time that kills you know, all these viruses, we, we start to close our doors and we close our windows and we're getting a little bit closer to each other. And that's a great way to sort of spread different types of infections. So all those things were sort of occurring together. So, so having COVID-19, which is a, again, a brand new virus to us this year to actually now have it in a little bit more of a closed environment allows it to spread, uh, you know, much more rapidly. And I think uh, honestly, it probably Halloween had a little bit of this to do. I mean, we felt pretty comfortable around Halloween. There really wasn't an uptick. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I kind of noticed in my neighborhood, there was definitely some parties that were going on. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, being super observant, uh, you know, looking around and seeing, you know what, there weren't a whole heck of a lot of people wearing masks. Yeah. Um, so 
<laughs> let me just let me just jump in there for a second because there's one thing yeah, I wanted sure. I wanted to just ask you. I mean, maybe I am uh, high alert because uh, you know I read about this all day and then I get the report every day and every day I've been trying to write a story about what's going on with COVID locally and it sort of gets into your sure. brain. But then you're yeah. uh, you're in the know. Uh, you're a medical doctor. You're in the uh, the field uh, literally, and you're you, you're coming across as calm. Uh, but then I think, okay, wait a second. You're just saying common sense stuff here. And then I think about, uh, I exist on Facebook and I always get from readers on Facebook. Well, this is just the flu. And look what the doctor's saying right here. He's being calm and collected and he's saying no, nothing different than we should know, uh, when flu season comes around. Uh, is that a dangerous train of thought or is that, is that what it is? So it's, <laughs> so the, a little column A, column B on this one. So let me explain that. So it is like the flu. It is not the same as the flu. So so the difference between the flu and COVID-19, so again, they're completely different viruses. So there is a common, there is actually this, probably not common, but I've heard this several times, is that you know the, if you get a, the flu vaccine, it works for COVID-19. That's actually not true, just so everybody knows. You should still get the flu to prevent the flu from occurring, but not from COVID-19. There are some similarities because the flu and COVID-19 are both res- are viral respiratory tract infections. So that means they're spread by, they're actually spread by um, droplets. Uh, in particular, COVID-19 is more likely to be a face-to-face contact. It's probably less where the droplets get onto a surface and then, and then you touch your face. It can occur, but it's more likely that you're very close to someone and then they, you know, they actually spread some of their virus to you, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what it is. So, so it is the big difference between COVID-19 and the flu is actually our immunity to it. So we see the flu every year. And even though there's mutations to the flu and we should get the flu vaccine, every year either we're getting some exposure to the flu or we're getting the flu vaccine to enhance our immunity against the flu. That's a, that's a big deal. COVID-19 is brand new. We've never seen it before. We didn't see it last year. It's a brand new virus. So what happens is, is that because we've never seen it, we have no prior knowledge. Our immune system has no prior knowledge about this about this virus. So what happens is, is that when we get exposed to it, we get infected with it. And so, so the infectivity when you're not wearing a mask is really high. And that's the biggest concern about it. So different from the flu, because not everybody ends up getting the flu, right, in the season, mm-hmm. but... With COVID nineteen, everybody can potentially get COVID nineteen if they haven't had it already. Okay, and that's and that's the difference. So, and and then you take that and you put that compact that together. You know, the flu season is usually could be as long as six months, and and because it's the flu virus is always looking for someone who is capable of being infected. Didn't get the flu shot. Didn't have it previously. Doesn't have antibodies to fight against it. COVID nineteen. There's there's no barrier for someone else to to, um, to not get it. So if I didn't have, if, if, if you and I didn't have it and then someone didn't have COVID-19 and someone came along and had COVID-19, you and I are susceptible to getting that infection. However, if someone had the flu and let's say you didn't get your flu shot, but I did, then there's a, there's a less of a chance for us to get it. Right. Cause you may even have some immunity to it. Mm-hmm. So there's, so that's the big difference. So it's, it actually has to do with, with the concept of a novel virus. And that's when we initially came out with this coronavirus, we called it the novel coronavirus because it's brand new from 
animals to humans and humans to humans. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to to ask you, doctor, is, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, and maybe this is impossible to, to, to answer, but I'd like to ask it anyway, in terms of where COVID is happening in the Naugatuck Valley, uh, right now, uh, and obviously HIPAA is HIPAA. I understand that, but is it, and you had mentioned before, is it, is it, is it small gatherings that are helping to spread it? A bit in the valley is it restaurants that are open is it you know is there any particular pattern that you're seeing generally general generally speaking uh right now uh so really tough to really tough to answer that because right now we're seeing it pretty much everywhere um and it, it really i think the biggest i think the biggest probably spreading was um gatherings um so as people are gathering together and not wearing their masks, that, that became an issue. I can tell you um, from my standpoint, and one of the bigger concerns is that it's starting to get into a little in, into families. So there may have been a gathering, but now it's, now it's actually in people's homes. And what's happening, same sort of thing we just talked about. So what's happening is that if, if someone's spouse or child ends up getting it, um, the likelihood that everyone in that household is going to get it is actually pretty high. So I think what we're seeing now is there was probably an initial, an initial nidus, probably related to some sort of gathering, um, and then you know without again without wearing masks because again I keep re- reiterating if you're wearing a mask the likelihood for you to transmit the disease is actually if two people are wearing masks it's it's less than one percent likelihood that you're gonna you're gonna spread this it's actually really really low as soon as you take that mask off it it go it goes exponentially uh, your likelihood for getting it so I think there was these nidus of groups. And then as these groups sort of went back to their homes, I think that that's when, and most people go home and I'm the same way. I don't wear a mask when I'm at home. Right. Um, they end up spreading it to their family members. And I think we're seeing more of that where family members, so instead of seeing one person from a family being sick, we're seeing several members of the family from being sick. So I think that's, I think that's what's happening right now. And then in terms of schools, it's another, I mean, I, I won't take up too much of your time. I realize once, you have a conversation about COVID. There's so many different avenues. Absolutely. You could talk absolutely. for days. Uh, <laughs> we a, really, <laughs> we could, and I could talk for hours, so just watch out. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I appreciate I really, no, I really do appreciate that. But, uh, you know, my kids have been home. We just finished up our second week of remote learning. They're scheduled to go back mm-hmm. to their school Tuesday. They go to a magnet school in Bridgeport, which has that uh, two-week daily average uh, in, 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 in the 50 range. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's something I think about, uh, you, you know, Derby hasn't had many cases within their schools, but the, the, that, that rate again is in the red, like all Valley towns. What's sure. your take on whether remote learning should be under, t- cause, cause I'm a little confused because on one hand, uh, governor yeah. Lamont and the education people say, well, stay in as long as you can. Cause kids of course need to learn and in-person learning is the best, especially, uh, right. for kids right. from, from, from challenged communities, uh, you know, in terms of economic and all that but uh, but then on the other side the, the, the state says well if you're at that 25 rate you uh and i'm getting a spam call from iowa city i, I apologize for that <laughs> but uh, okay. i'm gonna let that be because i don't want to hang up on you but on, on the other hand the state has these guidelines saying well if it's at that 25 mark you should really think about remote learning and then i know parents right. are, are struggling with this like crazy uh do you have any advice for that I do. And, and listen, I'll, I'll let me, and I'm going to go ahead and couch this a little bit and say my opinion. 
Uh, and again, I could tell you sort of being a healthcare worker, being an infectious disease doctor and an, an epidemiologist, I'll, I'll give you sort of my opinion on this. And again, there may be some, there may be some experts that disagree with this, but I got to tell you that I've been very impressed with the schools, very impressed with the schools and their, you know, their ability to monitor how children are, you know, not only learning, but how they are um, socially distanced, how they're wearing masks, um, and then when there is someone who, who becomes positive, they are proactive in, you know, basically finding that, that child and then those who are around them and, and appropriate quarantining them. So in, in, in a way, I feel that schools are, are safe, really safe. I think they're doing a fantastic job. Um, so I think, I think keep, and then obviously from a physician standpoint, I think the point that you made about, you know, having children, you know, socialize and be together and, you know, be able to, to have that interaction. I think that's really important. We don't want, we don't want, we don't want our children to, to not be able to interact with other people. That's so important for us in our human development. So I personally feel that the schools are doing a great job. And if we can keep those, you know, that face-to-face learning in a school that's being very uh, vigilant about it, I think, I think we should. Um, you know what, if it gets too high, what happens is, is that it's not the school that becomes the issue. It's about the people who are potentially coming in with it. So if the teachers are get, are coming in because they've been potentially infected by family members or the students because they've been infected by student by family members or by other students outside of the, the facility, that's when, that's when I think you have to take those extra steps to make sure that you're doing, you know, to, to prevent that from, you know, becoming widespread within a school. Does that make sense? So, so really, I, I'm, it's, it's not about the school itself. It's about sort of what's happening outside the school. Almost, there's, I've heard some arguments, and again, not that I'm advocating this, but I've heard some arguments, just keep kids in school the whole time, you know, right. so they can just stay in school and they're good to go, you know, because <laughs> again, the, you know, our educators are doing a great job at monitoring that and, and being very proactive about, you know, following the rules and making sure that people are safe as well as the students, as well as the teachers. And, and I've been uh, amazed. Uh, you know, I've had conversations with uh, Dr. DeBacco down there in Ansonia and just how, first of all, these schools in March and April had to mobilize and get laptops out to thousands of kids. Basically nothing uh, that, that, that I've seen in my lifetime it was a wartime effort. Uh, and now, okay. they're, now their entire uh, day is, is dealt with, uh, in Ansonia, it's been, you know, sort of contact tracing and, and trying to keep the, the right. kids safe. Right. It's really it's really amazing uh, what they've done. It really is. And they've brought yeah. in, I mean, one, I think we read about schools so much in the press in Connecticut is because they are so open. They, they the schools are telling uh, us what's going on, which is, which is very uh, much appreciated. And I guess like, all right, so what I'm getting out of this conversation and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you got to wear your mask. The, 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 the guidelines, uh, regardless of what you may feel politically or otherwise, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. If you want to keep yourself safe and others safe and your family safe, follow the guidelines. And I imagine Imagine that will include with Thanksgiving uh, coming up this limited gathering that I'm uh, yeah. I, I'm arguing yeah. about. I, me and my wife are just literally arguing about this uh, the other day. Uh, but what's I mean? You, you're saying follow that stuff, please. I, I yeah, I really am, and, and and honestly, we you know what we've even though you know you hear me say it's not as bad as it was in April. I mean, there, because there is that chance, there is that one percent chance that someone could could die from this. I mean, that's too high. So 
So make sure that you're taking those those extra precautions. And you're right. Thanksgiving is one of those where we, we gather together, figure out an alternative way to do that. Uh, because if, if I see anything, it is the, you know, the, the family gatherings, the social gatherings that are the ones that are actually spreading it and then bringing it back to places of work and, and et cetera. So unfortunately, we're going to have to take a, a little bit of a breather, let this wave sort of settle down. And uh, hopefully we'll get back to back to normal and, you know, we, we see, you know, see if we can get this vaccine out. Yeah. And that's looking good, uh, too, from uh, the reports that came yeah. out earlier this week. So. All right, Dr. Brown, I guess that just the one thing that uh, I don't know if you wanted to uh, uh, mention is the I mean, I can put it in the article and I've been spreading it. Uh, all over uh, social media as, as often as possible is the testing is available at Griffin Hospital. You can call a phone number and uh, use the, the, the keyword community to, to you don't need a doctor's note. You can get tested like that's happening uh, in a big way. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Griffin and, and hopefully we'll be able to make sure this is on the website. And so, yes, Griffin has actually worked throughout the state to, to develop testing and, and sort of perfect the ability to, to test patients. And those now, because we're doing community outbreaks and community pop-ups, is what we call them, we want to make sure that we can test anyone. And you do not need to have a physician. So if you use the term community or there's a community outbreak, you do not need a physician's order. Uh, we have it here on campus. Uh, we are also have at the Iron Bank in in Naugatuck and in Quasi Park. And again, those will be all, those are all on the site. So if people need to get them, and again, this is something that we can do for our community with the support of the state uh, and local government to make sure that we can make sure that everybody's safe. All right, Doctor Brown, I, you've talked me off the ledge. Uh, I do. Great. <laughs> I, I Great. really. I you really, mean we shouldn't wait as long? We should not wait as long. I'm happy to talk to you anytime. <laughs> All right, now I know. I'll stop. I'll stop banging my head against the wall and sending out angry emails on weekends uh, to yeah, PR yeah, people. Not, not necessary. <laughs> I'll just reach out direct. All right, Doctor Brown. Thank you again so much for your time. I, I really do appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Take care. All right. Bye bye. All right. So that was uh, Doctor Brown. The Chief Medical Officer for Griffin Hospital. Uh, this is Eugene Driscoll. I'm going to try to upload this as soon as possible, unedited. Uh, I, I want to thank, uh, I already said, uh, I already thanked Dr. Uh, Brown for his his time, but uh, I hope people get something uh, out of that. So for Valley Naval Gazing, this is Eugene Driscoll, and uh, this is the Bad Slugs to play us out. By us, I mean me.
Neutral trinket Constant attrition We'll ride the dinosaur We'll ride the dinosaur Dinosaur. 